Hello and welcome to the Shoulda Backed It podcast. As the name suggests, this podcast will take a look back on the previous weekend's racing and have an in-depth look at what we missed and why. We will also try to highlight where we did manage to find some winners and value on the punt, talk about some of our punting strategies and give you a couple horses to follow. I'm your host, Phil Georgios, a mug punter who can always find you a winner in hindsight. And with me is racing analyst and resident punting expert, Chris Venuccio, a.k.a. The Big V. He's here to give you some tips and advice to help guide you and me through the spring carnival. Hi, Chris. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Phil. The spring carnival is an exciting time of year and I wish I could consider myself an expert, but when it comes to punting, we're always learning and and that's what makes the game so exciting and the, the sport so fascinating to watch. Uh, you're spot on there, Big V, and um, you are, I think you, you can give yourself a little bit more credit than that. How'd you go on the weekend anyway? Actually, I didn't do too badly because I avoided Flemington on the whole and did a little bit of my punting at Randwick on the weekend. So, yeah, pretty good. Came out in front, which is always the aim, and yeah, it was a, a good weekend. Um, hopefully you had the, you know, the the same as well. Oh, coming out on front always the aim, mate, but I uh, can't say that's always the case for me. Um, so one of the segments in the main segment that we've uh, named the podcast after that we're going to look at is the shoulda backed it. So this is the horse that you, uh, in hindsight, should have been on. Can't believe you missed it and are still reeling from that uh, a couple of days later. So for you, who, who was the horse that you missed this week that you really should have been on, Big V? Well, the one that I I missed was Hort Brion Her at Flemington and I was on her the start before, I think it was at Caulfield and I thought that this was a stronger race and I did jump off her. I didn't even make her in my top four but, you know, when you look at the, the map and, you know, all the smarties and the big punters were on her and she was backed in quite heavily and, you know, coming into 5.50 and really controlled the race from the start and excellent ride by Michael Walker, just increased the the speed gradually and didn't give the back markers or anyone else a chance so you know kicking myself that I jumped off her too quickly well I'll talk about it a bit later mate but you were on your own jumping off her because I was well and truly on her this week so happy to talk about that in a little while um I should have backed it for the weekend and I'm sure a lot of our listeners would have been right on this is sunlight I can't believe I missed it uh it was obvious in hindsight and probably um beforehand as well uh, was really well set up for that win, third up, looking for, um, and with a few of the other horses not quite at their grand final, including uh, the one it was taking on in the betting, Santa Ana Lane. Um, and a favourite of yours and mine, uh, Big V, from well back Santa Ana Lane. And I just got seduced by the price, I think, at $3.70. Santa Ana Lane always get juicy odds. Um, not, not, well, not liked in the betting often, even though I do think it is Australia's premier sprinter. So, look, Miss Sunlight shouldn't have missed it. Uh, and uh, just a lesson there is to not necessarily follow the horse that you love and you might back in the next start, but to, to focus on the race at hand and really Sunlight was was a clear winner and clear obvious choice in, in hindsight, but also probably beforehand. Yeah, she had the fitness edge and you made an interesting point, Santa and Elaine being the premier sprinter in the country and he's proven that, but he he is our best sprinter when he's at his peak and his first up record isn't as good as you know, his best performances. I don't think he's won a race first up. And that's why it's even more shattering, having all that information in front of me and still missing it. He did run a really nice first up run 
uh, last prep, I believe, in the new market. No, I think uh, the Lightning before he won. The oh, that's no, right. sorry, yeah, it was one of the races, maybe the new market before the TJ. Yeah, you might be right. Yeah, so I mean, I, I think it does have form, but not not winning form, and I think yeah. that's probably the point you're making there, Big V. So. One to remember and certainly one I'll uh, make sure to, to think about well, next time. Well, I think what we wanted to see from Santa was seeing him really hit the line strongly. We knew he was going to be back in the field and, and running on and that's what we saw. And was it a performance good enough for you to really get behind him for the Everest? Uh, I'll definitely be on Santa Elaine in the Everest. Um, I do want to have a look at the conditions and I know you probably take a little bit more of an in-depth look at the conditions than I do, but... Uh, if it's a nice, good track and uh, a nice day, I think, yeah, Santa Ana Lane at its current spec at $5 is, is not a bad bet even now. Yeah, I think uh, if the Everest was on this weekend, it looks like wet weather and we could have had another heavy track. So thankfully they've moved it the week later for the Caulfield Cup weekend and we might get a better track. But I think if we get a good conditions, I think only three horses can win the Everest. I'm going to dismiss Ooh. the rest. Unless there's a three-year-old that comes into the frame such as Bivouac or Yes, Yes, Yes. I think the three horses that I think the winner will come from will be Santa and Elaine, as you mentioned, Parada and Arcadia Queen. If we get a heavy track, then that brings in Red Zell and, you know, the possibility that Red Zell might control the race again and just lead from start to finish. But if we get a good track, like we saw in the, the sprint last year at Flemington, Red Zell can get really found out if on a good track, if there's a bit of tempo. So I think the Everest, a lot of people are building the Everest as a, you know, as a tight, even contest. And the early markets are really condensed. But I think really, realistically, three horses I want to be picking from. Well, I'll look forward to a couple of weeks' time uh, coming back to those notes. I've just scribbled down <laughs> your uh, your thoughts there, Big V. So I'm, hopefully you've set us on the right yeah. track. And so, yeah, so those three horses and th- all the three-year-olds, but... I don't the, want to all, hear no no I don't want to hear no, any all, all um, the slots, caveats big V. All the slots haven't been filled up yet and I think the X factors are the 3-year-olds and particularly Bivouac because the 3-year-olds have performed you know credibly in the Everest but I think Bivouac and Yes 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 are probably the best of them contesting the race if they do get that slot. Look uh I, I don't agree with that necessarily, Big V, but I think uh, we'll, we'll have to, you know, take a look and maybe that'll be our should have backed it in a couple of weeks' time then. Um, we'll move on. Uh, with next part of our show, we're going to look at who we should have sacked and this doesn't necessarily mean we'll sack them in the future, but just based on uh, the factors of the day, maybe how the track was playing, the betting, uh, you know, where they were in their preparation, who did we back that we probably, in hindsight, uh, didn't want to get near... Well, the one that I regretted having my money on last week was Brimham Rocks in the Metropolitan. And I got a little bit uh, seduced by his performance at, I think it was Caulfield to start before, but he was paying $31. And it looked like he had got back to his spring form of last year where he strung, you know, some really good performance one after the other. I ran second, I think, to you. Um, yeah, he ran second to Yucatan in the Herbert Power. But I think he also had a second to Avilius. Ran well in the the Lexus on Derby Day or whatever that race is called now, and it looked like he'd got back to that level. And so I I got I got on him, but he's had you know high SPs in his three runs this this prep. You know a couple of hundred and fifty ones and in some Group ones, and 
And then he comes up as favourite and now I thought, oh, it might be a little bit risky, but jumped on. I don't think the ride was that flash. I think from barrier four, I expected him just to settle behind the leaders and they weren't going that hard. So poor performance and I don't know whether that Caulfield run was just a one-off or whether he can rebound and you know maybe have an impact in the Caulfield Cup. So it's a question mark going forward. You won't be getting on him next time. No, I probably won't. Um, I'd be really disappointed if he did bounce back and run well in the Caulfield Cup because, <laughs> you know, I thought the conditions of the Metrop really did suit him. You know, well drawn. Should have got a nice run on the map, and I was surprised mm. I saw him. You know, as far back in the run as he was. Yeah, that's. I think that's probably a fair point. Uh, I would have had Brendan Rocks as my. I uh, should have sacked it as well. But you've you've taken it, Chris. So I'll move on to to I the one that I think was um, definitely not one to be on last week, and that's uh, probably a little bit controversially, Mister Quickie. I just thought, not necessarily not a chance in the race, but just at the price of three dollars sixty or three dollars forty. I think it even might have started at. Uh, just created enough value in the other in the other runners. So Mystic Journey Finch. Hartnell and, and of course the eventual winner as well, uh, which was a great story in its own right. But I just think sometimes these horses can, everyone can get on them and there can be a bit of a rush, but with no real logic or, or reason behind it necessarily to back them at 340. So I was very happy to steer clear of Mr. Quickie on the weekend and, and back Mystic Journey, who, who I guess didn't perform as well as um, some might have hoped. Uh, but I think still well on track for the yeah. Cox Plate. So Mr. Quickies, my should have sacked it for the weekend. Uh, we'll see where they put it next, but, yeah, definitely uh, didn't like the price. Yeah, I think Caulfield Cup, and I think Mr. Quickie is the same boat as Brimham Rocks. I think he was $31 as well first up and an unexpected performance first up where, you know, really rocketed home. And I think people just got swept up by the sectionals he was producing late. Maybe he might have been flat from that run. Maybe we might see a rebound in the Caulfield Cup, but yeah, I'm a bit wary of him. I, you know, and again, he's one of those. He was one of those tips that everyone started getting on, and he was, you know, heavily backed. You know, I think he did. He start favourite. I think Mystic did, Journey. Drifted I think out. It just started favourite at the end. Yeah, three dollars forty. Whereas I think you could get three sixty, three seventy Mystic Journey by the end, which I thought was 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 great value about a horse that had done really nothing wrong uh, in its career. Yeah, and um, and also Mystic Journey. What do you think of her performance? Well, um, I know you've got some strong views on this, actually, Big V, in terms of how, how Mystic Journey was ridden. Uh, I well, think let's, from, let's get your well. Let's your I think from first. where it was, it was always going to struggle, wasn't it? Uh, it was uh, caught on the fence there, and uh, it had to really round the field if it was any chance. And Mister Quickie, the horse we've just been talking about, did it did everything in its power to not let that happen. So, so once it didn't have that run in the straight, it's not a winx. It's a very good horse, but it's no winx, and it wasn't going to be able to weave its way through through the field and win from that position, yeah. particularly with how the track was playing. And I know we'll touch on that a little bit later, but yeah, look for me, definitely not a get off. Based on that run, I think still still very credible performance. Based given that all the uh, all the variables in play, yeah. well, it was a good performance. But I don't think it really told us much whether she can run the two thousand meter strongly. So, you know, as a Cox Plate proposition, you, you're not really going in with you know any more confidence or any less confidence because you know the plan was to ride her conservatively, which they did, but because they went so slowly, she was given no mathematical chance of winning and. And that's where, 
a little bit disappointed with the ride because, okay, you go, you have your plan, which is to, to ride her back in the field to make sure she can run out that 2,000 metres. But what we saw was a very slowly run race and the the jockey and the trainer really didn't give themselves another option where, okay, they're going slow, we can position ourselves midfield because they're not going that hard at all. But when you've got this mindset where we're going to be back of the field no matter what, well, if they go really slow up front, you know, it's not doing your chances any good. So she ran she ran home strongly. She had the best sectionals of the race, and I think maybe she ran the second or third best last 200 of the meeting. But it didn't really tell us whether if we do get a high-pressure Cox Plate, can she handle it? And where is she going to be positioned in the Cox Plate? Will they go on speed? Will they go midfield? Or will they go back in the field? Well, your point there is an interesting one because... Where they put her probably will be where she sits in the cox plate. But as you've mentioned, the cox plates don't get run at that speed. They're usually very truly run races. So perhaps it was a little dress rehearsal for what we might see, but uh, with a a little bit of a different result, I think, with a really truly run race in a cox plate. But I like to see a bit of that tactical flexibility with jockeys. You know, if if you jump out, use those first, you know, that first 50 metres to assess what the speed is and then position your horse accordingly. If you're going to have that... You know, that thinking that we're going to go back no matter what. You're just leaving yourself one-dimensional. She is a horse that can handle high pressure at 1,600 metres, admittedly. Um, It would have been good to have seen her, you know, maybe try to do that at 2,000 but we won't know until the Cox Plate. and Cox Plate being the grand final as well, I think uh, is worth mentioning as well, Big V. Well, she draws barrier four. Will they settle her, you know... In the first four. I think you'll see a very different ride yeah, yeah, yeah. in the Cox Plate than you saw Well, the, uh, on well the in the Guineas, that was 1,600 metres. You know, she drew barrier one, I think, or she drew inside gate. She was, you know, behind the leader on the rail. So just one behind the leader. You know, will we see that in the Cox Plate at 2,000? We don't know. Hmm. No, it's a fair point and one to, to watch. But uh, again, I, I don't think I'll be jumping off Mystic Journey anytime soon. Uh, so that was our should have sacked it file, I believe. Yes. Um, so we'll be moving on now to some of the talking points from the weekend. And I know one of the things you wanted to talk about, Big V, was early betting and maybe some strategies around that. You very sheepishly sent through a text to me uh, midweek telling me that you uh, got on Surprise Baby at, at $3 plus, which turned out to be a great price and probably didn't have any concerns in running or, or midway down the straight with that particular bet. So um, can you just run me through the logic of, of getting on early and when you employ that tactic? Yeah, that was a um, – well, that was a horse I always wanted to be on. I thought she was going to win that race and even with the all-in markets. But I don't really like to bet early or bet into an all-in market because, you know, I've done that before. Horses get scratched, you know, the day before the race and you do your money cold and it's – and invariably, when with these all-in markets, once the final field comes out, the price, you're going to get that same price no matter what. You know, Well, you might get a better price. It's just um, I think some of these all-in markets you know, are a bit of a, a sucker bet. So what made you get on Surprise I, Baby I, early then? I just had a feeling that Surprise Baby might have been the one where you know, they jump on early. And if you notice a lot now on the Wednesday... When they put in, when they put up the fields, that at the top of the market with the favourites, second favourites, there's a lot of, there's a bit of betting that gets on them, you know, pretty quickly, and their price tightens really quickly. And Surprise Baby opened up three dollars on the Wednesday, but 
was quickly into 260. So I took that risk. You know, if I, I was out and about on Wednesday, so I would have missed out on that $3 price <laughs> anyway. So I, all been there. I took that gamble and, you know, really um, at $3, I wouldn't really you know, get into a worry about if I missed that price. But I looked at Surprise Baby and I thought, she's going to win this race. I want to get involved in this race. So I took the price. But otherwise, I wouldn't get involved in all in betting. The other horse I wanted to talk about was Fidelia. Now, that was one that was, you know, really bet early on that Wednesday. And and because of that, I steered cleared from it because I thought it was too short a price. In that type of field, you know, opened $4. And by 1 p.m., 2 p.m., was already into 280. And we're talking about a race that contained, you know, Hortbury on her, which I didn't even have in my top four, but <laughs> still had some respect for it. Pahutakawa. Angelic Ruler, Savatiano, Spanish Whisper beat it twice, and you're getting 280 for a backmarker. And I, I was just thought that that's crazy. You know, why are people betting so early? You know, three days out. You know, they obviously haven't done the form, you know, or done a speed map or a positional map, because you know they're jumping on four dollars. Yeah, with the click of a finger. Well, it's interesting you, you raise that race, actually, because that is a race that I happened to jump in early with with the eventual winner, Hawbury on her. Uh, look, I'd, I'd thought its previous starts at Mooney Valley and Caulfield were probably a little bit underrated. Never looked comfortable in either of those two races going the Melbourne way. Didn't get on its right leg. And I just thought at Flemington, give it a bit of, give it a bit of room, put it out front and just let it lope along like it did in the end. And I just loved the value that I was getting. I, I jumped on at $8.50 earlier in the week. I think I think it might have started $5, mm. $5.50 uh, once sort of the track was playing out. But really without much regard for the rest of the field, I just thought that looked like mm. a good price around a horse that had probably started quite short odds on in its, in its mm. previous two starts and just represented that value I think we're all looking for on the punt. So it can work both ways, I think, in yeah. terms of uh, early betting, finding value, but also you can be you can be crunched. The yeah. Fidelia early betters, punters, would have been uh, licking their wounds yeah. after that one. Yeah, well, in a way I was thankful because it did put me off the horse and when I get, the, I get a set of ratings on the Friday and they really didn't have Fidelia as a clear top pick. It was a very even race. So in the end I... I didn't have a bet in that race because an even field and, you know, and Fidelia, you know, not being a dominant favourite, yet she was still, you know, you know, twos. And I th- stayed out. But it it really is fraught with danger, this early betting and, you know, having a bet, you know, an hour, you know, after, you know, the fields are released because you haven't had the time to do the form you know, surely those people that back Fidelia, and this will go on to our next point that we're going to talk about, the people who back Fidelia early really didn't consider the rail placement at Flemington and how the track was going to pay, uh, going to play. Well, yeah, you do. You, that's a perfect segue, Big V, um, into the, the track itself. And I, I know there was a lot of social media chatter about the track. Um, you know, on-speed runners seem to have an advantage, but again, I, I think Flemington's a pretty... Pretty uh, fair track generally, but what 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 was your yeah. thought on the weekend? Well, the thing is, and the important thing that I'm still learning and trying to get better is when a rail placement is at a certain position, how's that track going to play? Because you know, with every track, you're going to have you get you know certain patches of 
grass that's quicker than others and the rail placement will have an impact on how those horses get to those fast lanes all the time. And that's something that I'm learning and getting my head around. Well, what do you, what, what do you suggest to the mug punters of the world, me, who doesn't have time to review where the rail's tra- placed and where it was placed last time and what that meant? Well, what I'm going to do now is just start, you know, filing it away. You know, just keep a notebook, write it down. Flemington, nine metres. You know, when the track is nine metres at Flemington, it's going to advantage the on-speed runners because they're going to get to those best parts of the track quicker. And I think it's when you get runners that can go wider off the track, they can get into some better lanes where they can, you know, run down the front runners, but nine metres. And when you get slow tempo, slow tempo races, you get leaders like Hawkbury on her that will just get into that good section of the track quicker and just take off and... Yeah, it makes it hard for backmarkers. Not necessarily anything wrong with the track. It's just the rail placement has enabled the on-speed horses to find that better ground, you know, a lot easier, a lot easily. That's fair. I do think if you are sort of in the first five or six within the fence, you were looking okay yeah. in that particular yeah, on, the, on the weekend. Yeah, but, but we had a lot of um, not really small fields, but you know. They weren't big fields and, you know, not a lot of leaders. You know, they were run at slow tempos. But then when you saw the last race where you got a bit of speed, bigger field, they fanned out out wide, you had a couple of backmarkers come and win. And then people jump up and say, well, there wasn't a track bias after all. But Yeah, I think it's a hard job and I think, I think, I think you're right. Note it down. But uh, I'd also be always trying to pick the best horse in the race generally, rather yeah, than worrying right. too much about which direction the wind's going or how far the fence is out or whatever. Yeah. But I, I do get your point, and I think we'll probably um, just note that and maybe if, the, if we happen to have the podcast and we see that the uh, track the rails yeah. in that position again, we can discuss whether we saw a similar result as we did on the weekend. Um, so, look, from that point, it'd be speaking of sort of the weekend and moving forward, it'd be good to have a bit of a chat about which horses you thought uh, out of the weekend we should be looking to follow? Uh, a couple that I'd put down, not as ones necessarily to follow, but as question marks, were around Surprise Baby and Finch, who obviously were great runs on the day and have come into $13 and $8 respectively for the Melbourne Cup, which, look, I wouldn't be jumping on too early. You can probably get that and better on the day and not have to worry about what happens over the next month. But I am interested in what you think of those two runs, given that you are a big fan of Surprise Baby. I am a big fan of Surprise Baby and really keen on her. But I think the bookies did overreact just a bit when they installed her as favourite and pro- probably shouldn't be too surprised by that because that's that's what happens. But I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take her on in the Melbourne Cup. I think she's you know pretty short. She, she'll start $15 on the day. I think her win was excellent. You know, she had a lot against her. You know, it was a slow tempo and she had a lot of, you know, ground to make up. But I don't think it was that spectacular to make her, you know, Melbourne Cup favourite. The internationals are a different level and I'll be looking to bet around her. Yeah, and I look, I think we'll probably have four or five favourites between now and, and Melbourne Cup day. So whilst those horses performed well, I think you're right. I think if you're thinking about the Melbourne Cup, 
and wanting to do a futures bet, I'd be looking much wider than those two horses. I'd be looking for something at value, $30 yeah. plus that you think is going to do well in one of the lead-up races or just perform well here in, in, in Australia yeah. and, and get onto that early and get the seal the early price there rather than jumping on yeah. early prices for uh, overbet yeah. or you know horses yeah. under the odds. I know that Finch ran well in last year's Melbourne Cup, so it'd be interesting to see if he can you know, perform better, but... On the other hand, we've seen um, Marmelo and Cross Counter last year, you know, run the one-two. They're coming back, so we know that they can run the distance and you know perform well. And then we've got another batch of internationals that we're going to see for the first time. So it's a, a tough race. It becomes a lottery, and you know, most of the time I would rather stay out of the race because it, you know, you, it, a lot of it is just guesswork. Uh, so, any other horses from the meeting that you thought we should be uh, following forward, Big V? I know I've talked a lot about this race, uh, the Fidelia race, but I'm keen to follow Pahutakawa. Mm-hmm. I think yep. she's ready for 1,600 metres now. And Jolly Garula is probably, probably in the same boat, but I think Pahutakawa is the one. The way Pahutakawa finished was pretty, pretty eye-catching, I think, and I think you're right, moving forward, that'll be definitely one. Yeah. I put him to my black book. And the other one is, I think, would be a certainty is Zutori if it runs into the Group Two sprint at Flemington. You know, for him to get within a length of Sunlight and Santa and Elaine shows that you know he's up to Group One level. He's improved a lot since the winter, and the aim is to run in that. Um, I think it's the Lynn Lithgow on Derby Day. If he wins that, if he runs in that, I think he wins. You know, he might run in the Matacado, but I don't think his pattern of running is suited to the Valley. So I'd rather see him at Flemington, win that race, and then he can back up into the the classic the week after. Well, it hasn't taken you long to uh, unleash your first certainty of the podcast, Big V. I'm very happy with that. I'm sure everyone's scribbling down the uh, that information because come Derby Day, um, could uh, you know, line the pockets with that one. Um, anything else from that meeting, or should we move to our uh, country segment? Now, no, no one here will know this, but um, I'm a country boy at heart, so we've decided that uh, in amongst all our discussions on Group Ones and Group Twos and and the uh, Spring Carnival, we'll find a couple in the bush that also we might want to follow, perhaps within the bush or moving into the city in follow-up runs. So my one, I was watching uh, Benalla on Monday, as you do, and um, in the first, I saw a horse that I really liked the uh, look of um, when it's maiden, Magnetism, uh, trained by the Hayes, Hayes and Davinick stable, uh, really performed well. It had come off a listed run in its first preparation back in May and really wasn't too far off them without uh, setting the world on fire, but it, it, it came back gelded. Uh, had blinkers on and um, was just much too good for them in a maiden at Benalla. Mightn't sound like much, but I, I look, I think it's one that will find its way into the city. And uh, I think one to watch, if you see that name at 50 to 1 at, at Caulfield or Flemington one day, uh, magnetism, you, you might find yourself with some good each way value. So that's my one to follow from the country this week. And uh, I know you're going to do your best to do, watch a little bit more of the country meetings. I saw that you are very keen on some Donald races today, uh, being, the, being the Tuesday. But um, anything from your perspective, Big V, or are you just uh, learning a bit more about the country way of life? Yeah, I'll just, um, I try to steer clear of the, the country and, you know, betting on the country tracks. But, yeah, there's 
a lot of punters out there, that's their expertise and, you know, they know a lot more. But some good performances at Donald. There was a dollar ten shot that got up in the first race, which um, you expect him to do. And I think he's been well back for the derby. The, the name of the horse escapes me. So first race at Donald, uh, that was a you know, good run. But just the other... Uh, race I wanted to touch on before we finish up, Phil, was the Epson, and you know we saw an outstanding you know performances. Oh, by we know Colding why you want to bring Siaki this up. Shark. I was having a chat to Chris last week, and he's uh, just happened to drop the exactor on me, and of course I didn't get on that exactor, did I? But is that why you brought it up just well, to rub it I, in? I, or? Yeah, I do want to point out that you know we can find a few winners <laughs> <laughs> on here, and I, I did get on Colding. I was initially going to get on Tiaku Shark, but I thought the barriers, Coldy might have had the better position in running, but I wasn't expecting Glenn Boss to be on the to be one one, and you know oh, that was an excellent performance by Colding. He did work very hard to sit in that one one spot, and the two leaders I think finished, you know, nearly you know last and third last, uh, Academus and Dreamforce. So big effort by Colding. But I wanted to mention this race because. Yeah, Colding is going to go to the Golden Eagle next start. That's probably the logical step, but I don't think he'll beat Arcadia Queen. And Tiaku Shark is going to the Cox Plate, where I've probably got a three or four other horses ahead of him. It would have been great to see one of them in the, the mole race on Derby Day. I thought, you know, if they're in that race, that they might have that in their grasp because those two were really dominant in the Epsom. No, that's a good point, Vic V. Well, um, I'm sure there's some discussions happening with the trainers and the owners now about which direction they'll take. I can assure listeners, Big V brought that up specifically to mention the fact that he got the exactor in that relation last week. He can try to uh, pretty it up with other forward negotiations of what, what, what the horses are going to do, but that is exactly why he brought that up. Uh, look, that's the end of our first episode. Thank you for listening. Um, Look, we'll be coming back week by week to talk about the horses that we missed in the Shoulder Backed It file uh, over the next coming few weeks. So please make sure you uh, you listen and tell your friends. Um, you can also contact the show. We've got a couple of ways you can do that. So more than happy for you to do that and reach out and tell us what we got wrong and what we didn't. Uh, that's at two ways, uh, via email at shouldabackedit at gmail.com or via Twitter at shouldabackedit. Uh, that's Shoulda Backed It, S-H-O-U-L-D-A-B-A-C-K-E-D-I-T. Uh, thanks for listening and we look good luck on the punt this week and we look forward to uh, hearing from you.